Hey there, welcome to Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'm a digital strategist and an entrepreneur. Now, today, I have a bit of a surprise for uh, the episode. We're producing this in audio as well as video, so this should be uh, exciting. Today, we're speaking to Ryan McLeod. He is a developer of this crazy, awesome, frustrating, amazing iPhone game called Black Box. And I recommend you go and download the game um, before we uh, bef- before listening to today's episode, because it'll give you a little bit more insight for uh, for the discussion. But just to give you some context, this is kind of what the game looks like. There's these like colourful um, dots on the screen, and um, you have to solve challenges by doing things or by doing anything except for touching the the, the phone screen itself. So it could be. Um, sound, it could be orientation, it could be playing with other functions on the phone. I won't give um, all the challenges away because I think it would be great for you to actually play yourself. But um, but it's a really interesting game and we talked to Ryan about some of the challenges he's had in developing it, some of the weird feedback and, and kind of bugs he's had to overcome, and also I ask him whether the game is good or evil. So without further ado, Let's go and talk to Ryan, and I hope you enjoy today's edition of Mate. So, who are you, and what do you do? I'm Ryan McLeod. I'm the designer and developer behind Blackbox. Uh, I was calling myself a front-end engineer for a while. Now I'm calling myself a designer developer, I guess. Um, my friend says I should be calling myself an interaction engineer. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really know how to describe my background anymore. <laughs> interaction engineer, designer, developer—like, what do all those things mean? A bunch of Twitter bios. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think it, in isolation they all make sense, right? You're a designer, yeah. Or you're a developer, but what's a designer developer, or what? What's an interaction engineer? Yeah, I think all these titles have become so so blurred. Um, the reason for designer developer covered being being a designer and also developing at the same time but it doesn't really describe that much interaction engineer gets a bit more into uh, really working on like the you know human human centric design of products and the interaction between people and the things that they're using working on that and not just designing and talking about it but actually making it I guess mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, something at the start there black box. Yeah. <laughs> What's Black Box? Uh, Black Box is a really weird iPhone puzzle game. It's a collection of over 50 puzzles that are solved primarily without touching the screen. Um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with sensors or the operating system itself or astrological events. Or <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, you play the game by not touching the screen. That's a right. really, really weird concept. Yeah. Uh, how- so, what's an example of like how you might solve one of the challenges? Um, so, one of the very first challenges you start off on is um, about the motion of your phone, and all of these kind of have like a a really brightly colored visual that sort of gives you a sense of what's going on, but doesn't quite tell you exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. I like to describe it to people like. Um, you know, you attach like rattles to babies' wrists or their legs, so they start to hear the sound and associate where their 
arms and legs are. It's kind of like that for the proprioception of what sensor is being used. So you use this first one and this red level is moving around the screen like a liquid and you figure out that it's about the orientations of the phone or mm-hmm. a little sun means the brightness of the screen. I don't want to give away too many, but mm-hmm. so it's they get kinda, more obtuse. Yeah, so there's kind of like a visual hint that gives you some some clues on, on yep. what you need to do, but then you've really got to rack your brain to figure out how to solve it. Yeah, some of them are definitely designed to be, you look at it and you're not, you're not going to get it in one go. You need mm-hmm. to put it down and come back to it, or you need to check it in a couple of days and see how it looks different or something. Yeah, okay. That's tough for people to to adopt adopt to. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so that's a really bizarre kind of game. Um, I've I've not seen anything like that before. How I mean, like, how did you how did you come up with the inspiration behind that? There's, I a lot of people ask that, and I've <laughs> started to figure it out, but I hadn't thought about it for a while. Um, I don't play that many video games. But the ones that I have really played and loved are like Portal, um, Fez. I don't know if you've played uh, Machinarium. They're, I just said Portal, right? All these games with like a lot, of, a lot of Easter eggs, a lot of puzzles to sort of solve. And Fez is one of the most beautiful ones because they spent years designing it. And you, one of the main goals is to collect these little cubes. And there's like 100 cubes that you collect. But then I don't, I don't think this is a huge spoiler at this point. There's actually like 200 cubes you can complete. You can get to 200% completion. Um, So like half the game is literally Easter eggs. And I think Easter eggs are one of the most fun parts of games like that. So I wanted to make something that just celebrated that. And when the iPhone first came out, people were talking so much about how this little box of sensors. And so you had all these people that before were making products um, that had their own screens, their own batteries and stuff like that. And suddenly started switching where like the iPhone, they could offload a lot of the work to the iPhone or use the, you know, magnet magnometer on the cell phone or the rotation sensors or any of that. But then it's like it disappeared and no one did anything interesting. Um, Especially like games. I mean, some apps try to do things like there was the peak, the calendar app where you covered the top of the screen and it kind of changes the interface or like you can shake to undo and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But we don't really see people go into those areas much anymore, especially in games where you'd think people would want to the most. That's an area where you can really play around. And so I felt kind of frustrated that no one had done that and I wanted to see a game like that. So I started working on it. Of course, I never got, I don't get to play Black Box now, but (laughs) I get the joy of watching other people struggle through it. You know all the answers, right? Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned a little while ago um, this idea of an Easter egg. Might be Mm -hmm. good just to explain, like, what is that? Yeah. So, an Easter egg, I guess I would call like a non essential part of the game, Um, some, some hidden thing that the developers put in there. I think they, I don't really know the history too much of Easter eggs, but usually it'd be like a wall that you could walk through and there's extra coins in the room. Or like in Mario, there's certain tunnels you can go down and things like that. Mm-hmm. But they've become a more, a little a little extra signature that people will put on something or like actual features themselves. Um, a lot of apps now, you know, in the pull to refresh menu mm-hmm. will like hide something weird or... Mm. I don't know if you've seen the the Ookla cat in the speed test app. 
No. You pull the speed test thing down, there's this really ugly, creepy cat. And every <laughs> time you pull it down, it says something different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just like a hidden thing that developers put in for fun. Yeah. And in Black Box, it really it drives people to, to play with the game in new ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, the challenges already do that, but you know, some of them are involve uh, when, how often you come back to the game or like mm-hmm. if, how much you, you messed with the game itself. They're what I call meta challenges. Yeah. The whole game is already Easter eggs. So, so that, yeah, every, every challenge is an Easter egg. But I was going to yeah. ask you about that. So you've got these things called meta challenges, which is yeah. really, it's an Easter egg within a game of Easter eggs. It's like an <laughs> ultra level of Easter egg, right? <laughs> Super meta, yeah. Which I guess is why you call them meta challenges. But I, right. I, they're, really, they're really fucking hard. Yeah. The meta challenges. <laughs> like I got I got one or maybe two of them and there's like a few I can see. Like if I tap the screen, there's a colored dot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. Like yeah. literally no clue. Yeah, I feel kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> do you? But do you though? <laughs> uh, I mean, there are there are thousands of people that find them, right? So I often think like I should make it a little easier or a little less obtuse, but then I have someone that sends me a screenshot of them digging around the source code of the website, you know, it's like, (laughs) all right. Like, you know, I had this developer menu that was hidden in the app for a while Mm -hmm. that I would use or tell people to use to fix things. Um, And then I had, you know, like a dozen people tweet me a picture of it and I thought I hit it pretty well. Yeah. But you know, when you put like a half million monkeys in a room with typewriters, they hit (laughs) (laughs) everything. So that actually brings up an interesting question, and this wasn't on the the run sheet, but is Black Box good or bad? (laughs) Am I good or bad? Should be the question. (laughs) (laughs) Is it good or evil? Because, like, yes, it's providing some level of entertainment, but um, there's also an immense amount of frustration that comes along with that. Yeah. Well, that's a, yeah, that was a really fun thing while testing it is, uh, is watching and listening to people because there'd be people that would say, this is, I hate this. Mm-hmm. This is like too hard. But then they, they're still playing three days later. Mm-hmm. You know, they become one of the top players. Yeah. People that are complaining the most or seemingly complaining. Um, so I don't think it's evil. I think it, it, uh, it's definitely different and very, very frustrating. But people like the frustration. They like the challenge of it. And it, I don't think it's a bad thing. It helps people uh, break boundaries and think more creatively, hopefully. I mean, people have done some crazy, crazy things. Watching people, watching their minds sort of open up. We have this like uh, room that we live in of like what apps can do and what we can do with apps. And this starts to like shatter all the windows one by one. Mm. <laughs> so you have people sending in, um, I've had people send in photos of their iPhone in a bag attached to a vacuum. They're trying to solve a challenge that way. <laughs> what? I won't, I won't say which challenge they thought I was helping solve. I thought that was crazy. But then a couple weeks later, another guy, different person, told me their story about putting their phone in a bag and attaching it to a vacuum. <laughs> I want to know what challenge this is now. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's another guy that keeps... He's been talking about buying a weather balloon, but he hasn't tried it yet. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I am evil. Uh, yeah, but it sounds like you get a little bit of joy from it too. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, so you kind of talked about like why you, why you wanted to create this game. 
What's some of the inspiration behind it, though? I know uh, I was reading an interview, you talked about a few other kind of apps that have scratched the surface of this kind of style. Yeah. There was um, one that sticks out the most was the Inception app. Mm-hmm. Based on the like movie, a- right? Yeah, yeah. It was a promotional app made after the movie. Um, and you would put on headphones and it would distort the sound around you in weird ways. So you could enter different dreams and they distorted the sound differently. Uh, but some of them were unlocked by opening the app really late at night. It would tell you that, you know, or like going to Africa was one of them. Mm-hmm. Opening the app in Africa. Just these insane things. And I don't know. I thought that was that was really cool. And then I remember another time using Clear, which is a to-do list app, really beautiful to-do list app. And I opened it late at night one time and it unlocked like a secret night owl theme. Mm-hmm. You know, then I like, I followed some of the developers through the app on Twitter. And it gave me like the socialite theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought that was, that was really fun, but nothing was fully formed as an idea yet. And then the same guys that made Clear worked on an app called Hatch. Mm-hmm which is a little personal like Tamagotchi for your iPhone, yeah. And it would do things, you know, it'd be happy when the phone was charged or it would fall asleep when your phone was dying or mm-hmm. it would dance if there was music playing. And I think the idea kind of came around then um, and I added it to my like big idea list. It's like quote, quote unquote, black box, black box app. And at that point in time, it was just going to be a giant grid of colored dots and they would all be going at the same time, and there was no visuals to help you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are really evil. <laughs> <laughs> so it obviously changed. But you're, they were just going to turn on, and you wouldn't exactly know what happened. And Yeah, it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's sort of how the idea more or less formed, and then it's, it's been a constantly changing thing through development. Yep. I wanted to ask you about um, kind of the implications of of this game. Uh, I work in um, marketing strategy and I was telling a few people in my team um, about this and and how Black Box is actually a really good game for lateral thinking to Mm -hmm. kind of really expand, you know, how you approach a problem. I mean, that's what we do. We always have to think about like what problem are we trying to solve and how how do we actually solve it? Um, in, in, you know, interesting and different ways as well, because it's not always, you know, a client wants to do some sort of marketing campaign or something. It's not always clear what we're trying to achieve. So have you had any kind of feedback from users or has, was there any thought put into what, what implications black box has for just as problem solving technique? Oh man, I don't think directly there was like, you know, oh, I'm going to put in this one because it helps you expand your thinking in this way. That was definitely, definitely more of an, more of an afterthought. Where does the name Black Box come from? Black Box is kind of comes from the concept of um, you have some mysterious device and you don't know the internal functions of it. So it's used a lot in engineering where you talk about a problem where. Uh, something goes in and something comes out changed and you don't really know how it's a black box. So it's opaque. You can't see into it. Mm -hmm. You can't see the inner workings and the mechanics. So this you have, you turn your phone or yell at it and you get some sort of visual feedback. You don't really know what's going on and you have to mentally build up a model of what's going on inside the black box to solve it or understand it. Mm -hmm. And it just sounds cool. So, 
It does, yeah. So it's a really, really interesting game. I'm, I'm actually curious. How do you come up with new levels? Yeah. So I think that's one thing where having really, really restrictive constraints is uh, really liberating. So I have these insane constraints of like you can't, you should be able to solve it by not touching the screen. And then on top of that, the visual, I kind of have like a personal rule that the visual should never be cartoonish or too iconographic. Um, it should always be something where you could like take a screenshot of it and use it as a wallpaper, like it's artful. But as far as the mechanics, it's just a lot of the, the iOS APIs, how you can interact with the device, just realizing like, oh, you know, that is something that you can do with. Anything on the phone where you can interact with it in some way or change the state of something can be turned into a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, honestly, a lot of them come to me on runs, but I've, I've had a long list. There isn't really a process. They just come up. The hardest part is coming up with the visuals. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, Because you want it to feel um, interesting and enticing, but also hint at how to solve it, but not give yeah. too much away. Yeah. And it's, also it's, keep consistency across um, the whole game as well, because there's a kind of a visual style that you have. Yeah, there's definitely a certain feel. There was a point in time when I had this really cool, like, uh, green slime sort of liquid thing for one of the challenges. And it was really cool, but it just didn't fit at all. Yep. Um, the visuals, though, yeah, it has to it has to put someone right on the edge of solving it without giving it away. And it's a really, really tough balance. And since, since everything is so clean and simple, there's like a, a lot hinges on the animation or just how things move to present sort of joy when it is solved. Mm-hmm. That sort of stuff looks really simple. Like, oh, it's just circles, but it can take a lot of time to really get to a point where it feels right. Mm-hmm. What's the, the hardest challenge you've got in the game? Oh, um, well, I don't want to spoil it. I've got... I've got a favorite challenge. All right, maybe we'll do that one. <laughs> Have you seen the the biometric one? The I... touch eye challenge? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have that, you solved that one? Yes, that frustrated the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite challenge. Why, um, why is it your favorite? <laughs> oh, it's directly inspired from a, a puzzle in the game, uh, Machinarium, mm-hmm. by the Armantia... <laughs> Montia studio studio guys um there's this puzzle where it's just so clear you're being asked these questions and you're answering them correctly and it's not doing you any good Mm -hmm. and that breakthrough moment of figuring out what you actually have to do i think is is really cool as far as and it's it's so simple once you know i was just like yeah yeah yeah. well it's funny too because like if you know what um what as a developer you're capable of doing with that. You know, people think I like know what their fingerprint is. Mm -hmm. They ask me like, oh, do I need your fingerprint? It's like, did you really expect me to launch something (laughs) worldwide that would require my fingerprint? (laughs) It's just people have my fingerprint up on the web. You can print it out and put it on scotch tape. (laughs) Yeah. I guess hardest is probably the, um, the three vertical blue ones. The ones where I get messages from people and it's like, Ryan, I'm in a car on a mountain late at night. My husband is texting me wondering where I left with the car so late. (laughs) It's raining hard and I don't know why I'm here to turn on one blue box. The three vertical blue ones. Yeah, I think 
Yeah, I, I know the ones you're talking about. That that's not the hardest for me though. But um, maybe yeah. we can maybe we can discuss off air. Um, hey, probably one of the very few. Yeah. I wanted to ask kind of about the performance of the game as well. Um, have you got any analytics on you know how long people are playing, what how many challenges they're solving? Do you have that kind of stuff installed in in the background of the app? Yeah, there's a good amount of analytics that I've put in. Uh, it's like honestly probably too much for me to understand without someone who can just work on that. Sure. But I find analytics extremely interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, I've, I've got some numbers. There's there's been at least uh, 300, 300 years spent in challenges, which is <laughs> <laughs> a couple of human lives, I guess. I feel kind of bad about that. But then again, you know, there's other games that are much bigger wastes of time, in my opinion. Yes. Um, what other numbers are interesting? I, I'm tracking, you know, when you touch the screen and yep. it sends a ripple across, mm-hmm. I call those like home light jiggles. Uh-huh. There's people that do that like hundreds of times. I, I do it a lot because I'm like, yeah. I can see there's more stuff there, but I can't yeah. get it. How do I? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's things too like when you there's a reward for doing that a small amount of times mm-hmm. but then you get this idea you put this idea in people's head that maybe if I do it a thousand times there's some uh, gold at the end of the rainbow or something is that there, the, the number of people I don't know <laughs> <laughs> the number of people that have uh, deleted the app and reinstalled it thinking that was a challenge I, I'm adding a warning now to say please don't do that <laughs> Like, how many apps have to worry about that as a problem? Yeah, yeah, that is a very strange problem to have to solve. I guess, like, is that good for your iTunes ranking if people are installing the app? I don't, I think that's a bad thing. I don't know. It depends if iTunes um, factors in the the delete as a bad bad thing, because no one knows what their algorithm is, right? But new new downloads is obviously good, and uh, ratings are good. They're, They're probably the two main things, so... I don't know. Maybe it is good. Maybe you should make that into a challenge, or is that not uh, is that not a good thing? You know, yeah, I don't want to encourage that sort of thing. I'm I'm pretty. I feel like I was tiptoeing already around things Apple might not be stoked on. So yeah, I mean, the, the app drives people to basically stress test it for me too. So it, there was a point when it was crashing a lot because mm-hmm. people are just like, oh, what if I you know run music and switch music really fast and plug in headphones while I'm shaking it? You know, yeah, totally overwhelm the app. Yeah. There, yeah. there is, speaking of shaking, there is, um, it is nice that you've put in a few kind of visual cues like, uh, this challenge does not require you to shake the phone violently, but like, <laughs> yeah. thanks for trying or something. <laughs> solid, solid idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's kind of nice. And, and I think that kind of comes back to your, your interaction engineer, um, style that, uh, you're kind of giving people a bit of nice feedback about something, even though it's not right. Yeah. Yeah, that is. It's that's been a really interesting part of it because um, there the visuals are so bare that you latch on to any little change, right? So there's been times where I've wanted to add things that make the visuals more uh, interesting or compelling or whatever, but you add something that's just frivolous, and people start assigning meaning to it. You know, there's people that write to me and they, they think they see things that don't exist. Mm. You know, like they revisited it and the color of something changed. It's like it hasn't changed. Yeah. So you have to be really careful um, with 
with what you say, but I suppose you have to uh, you have to solve a lot of very interesting design problems with this. Um, uh, it's actually quite a technical app from maybe a development point of view. You have to know <clears throat> how to tap into different parts of the OS, um, but also from yeah, like a, a design point of view, you. Because design is obviously not just the look of something. And I think a lot of people just associate designers, you know, you design logos or you design websites or whatever. But like interaction design um, or interface design or experience design, those Mm -hmm. are all like really important parts, particularly of digital technology and things like apps. The way something jiggles when you touch it, the 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 way something animates, all that kind of stuff, right? So, you've done a lot of thinking about that. What are some of the other really interesting challenges you've had to solve with black box? Um, A lot of it, I think, has been understanding what is important for me to spend time on. There's a lot of people that told me to ship it months earlier than I did. And I'm really glad I went through and polished the little things I did. They're the sort of things that you you never would be able to put your finger on and notice. um, But they lead to the overall feeling people have about the game. Your question specifically was more um, what's been tough engineering-wise? Well, more so from a design perspective. Like, you were talking before about how um, you've had to be really careful about the things that you include or the things that you don't include. Um, You talked about, you know, adding something into the the app about, you know, don't delete it and reinstall it. Like, (laughs) those are things that most developers don't have to put into their their games, their apps, their, their software. Yeah. Um, and purely just because this is a very unique and very strange uh, concept, this whole this whole game, um, you've got all these really weird scenarios that you have to think about. Yeah. I mean, the whole game is edge cases. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're familiar, yeah, edge case of just like you have the normal way people use things and then there's the fringe sort of stuff. And this is all operating on the fringe for the most part. Um, which makes testing it really tough. A lot of times I, I can't even automate the testing. You know, I just have to rely on a checklist of things to go through. But really it was about listening to beta testers, um, setting up. I had that chat set up in the app for beta testers. So there's this immediate feedback loop of like, you know, I read this hint and I interpreted it this way and did this. And it's just like, whoa, like I would have never thought of doing that or that that could be interpreted that way or um so i don't think it was so much like a a technical challenge i mean obviously it was hard to make all those things but really listening to people and like putting my ego aside too and realizing when like someone says that this is how they interpret it and how they did it it's like that that's going to be a lot more people that's not an off case sort of thing and listening to everything yeah Okay. Um, last question about Black Box, and then we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit. But I just wanted to ask, what's the future of the game? Where are you taking it next? Yeah, I've I've left the edges ragged on purpose. It's so wait, def- you're referring to uh, on the grid. There's you know these coloured dots, and um, it, it's not a nice clean edge. They're they're kind right. of they're they're going in. It's almost like a um, like a spider web sort of. It's all going off in different directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird Tetris conglomerate yeah so that's intentional yeah Yeah, it's intentional um right now there's 55 challenges and i'm gonna go count my dots right after we finish this (laughs) (laughs) you can check on game center um i have two more coming out 
very soon, probably another pack of seven or eight coming out after that. I have at least two dozen more ideas for challenges and more just keep coming. Um, it takes a lot of time. <laughs> it's tough to make them, but I'd like to, uh, I'd like to keep making more challenges as long as I, I can. It's been a really fun way for me to sort of learn iOS and mm-hmm. support myself. So, yeah. Okay. So that not segue, by the way, I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's it? So you, you develop a black box alone by yourself, independent yeah. developer, independent designer or designer developer or interaction yeah. engineer. Um, what's that like? How do you, you know, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough, but it's not impossible. Um, it's really, it's really hard to not have someone to look to, to make decisions for you. Mm. (laughs) Not that that's something that I was necessarily used to, but it's just, I don't have a lot of people to bounce ideas off of. Mm. A lot of times it's like, okay, what, what color is this going to be? Like, sounds like an easy thing but i'll agonize over that for a day yeah um it's it's tough it's a meandering path i i've never really had strict deadlines or like a really good system set up for getting through to do's it's just these are the things that need to happen next and then oh i discovered i want to do this which can be really tough in software because you get really quagmired and like uh, gold polishing and adding a bunch of features feature creep Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I sort of just chased a lot of that stuff until a point where I needed to launch it. <clears throat> Maybe let's rewind a, a couple of years and I wanted to explore, um, how you got to where you are. Um, because from, from what we've kind of been talking about, it doesn't sound like you have a design background or a development background. Um, so well, let's kind of rewind a bit and, and figure out where this all started. Sure. Um, so in elementary school, I was always the computer guy. Mm-hmm. Got, you know, called to fix stuff. So I guess we didn't have an IT person. <laughs> Wait, so, so you were fixing, fixing stuff at school, like the school com- the office yeah. computers and stuff. Well, there was a time like I was in class and someone called the teacher and said they were looking for the computer guy and I was like, I don't who and they're like they're talking about you like. <laughs> <laughs> It's like on third grade. You like go into the principal, <laughs> like go fix the printer, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I was interested in design, I was interested in robotics, a bunch of things. But when I applied to schools, it was, you know, check the box for like computer engineering or software engineering. And I people you know said, Oh, you're good at computers, apply for those things. Um and then when I got into Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, that's it's a town in between LA and San Francisco. Um, they, you don't, you choose your major before you get there. And so it was like, Oh, what did I choose? I chose computer science. All right. That's what I'm doing for the next four years. Um, and that, that did really get like a a solid background in software engineering for me. Mm -hmm. But like literally a week or two ago, I realized that I have almost zero passion for computer science. I was like, a field, <laughs> which like led to a lot of my angst going through school. I think, you know, I didn't want to work on these low level foundational things a lot of times. And I'm, I'm really thankful that I did learn them now, but it was because I wanted to work on uh, websites. I wanted to be a front end engineer. I wanted to learn design and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But 
there weren't any classes for that. So it was something that I started working on on the side, uh, making personal sites and subscribing to design news- newsletters like Sidebar and just ingesting as much content as I could daily and practicing things during class. Um, and sort of realizing like so many people that I would talk to were in these formal or had formal design backgrounds and realizing that that really isn't necessary if you're if you're willing to put in the time and the patience like it it takes years but I think I had a, a kind of an eye of like things that I liked and I slowly discovered okay like why do I like that okay it's because this mechanic can I replicate that and then like reading about oh that's the term for that and it's it's just something that develops over time yep huh. so computer science just to kind of um explain this a bit more is that like the like back-end engineering and kind of like servers and uh information like architecture of of uh like that kind of thing yeah it's kind of weird computer science is like a old old term for when computer science was much more about uh math right now computer science is more um the back-end side of things so it's it's about the algorithms it's about speed complexity and it's not so much about learning a bunch of different programming languages. It's about, you know, getting really deep into one and really understanding how um, computers work on the software side of things. And I think the general attitude is with like a computer science degree, you, you generally go out and work in software, but you have this solid base and you learn those things that go on top. It's like, we're not, we're not learning how to build websites or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's, that's more of the software engineering side of things. Right, so computer science is more the back end, and software engineering is more the front end side of it. Yeah, they overlap, and then you have computer engineering, which gets into a little bit more electrical and hardware. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you studied computer science, but you were really more interested in front end um, engineering and well, front end development and front end design. Um, yeah, because that kind of taps into the what you said at the start. This interaction engineer, like how how things look and feel, and how you can kind of um, you can conceive it, but also build it. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's a really cool thing to be able to to do. I think I realized early on I really like uh, consumer facing products. You know, developer tools are really cool, and I'm happy there's people that are stoked to work on them or design CPU architectures and make them faster. But for me, it's like I like being close to uh, the the actual thing that people are using. So, but having that as a base and then learning design and then sort of you know, entrepreneurship is something we pick up and watch. Uh, marketing is something you can pick up and watch. And now you've assembled a skill set for making stuff. Mm-hmm. So what else do you want to solve then? Um, like <laughs> what other problems are on the horizon that, that you think are broken and want to, want to fix? Yeah. Um, like we were talking about before, it's, I'm really interested in interfaces, not just digital, but, you know, uh, kitchen tools and road signs and stuff like that. It's just how do we interact with our tools? And so often you can make people's lives better or actually save lives genuinely by like how something is designed. Um, I'd really like to work on things that can make the world a better, more empathetic place and all that, which sounds really out there, but I feel like so much of work this these days is, uh, you know, making a product to pitch people to buy that they may not necessarily need and stuff like that. Mm. There's 
there's so much other good that we can do with those those sorts of fields. The developer of the most frustrating game in existence, the <laughs> evil developer Ryan, uh, wants to make uh, his next project about empathy and making the world a better place. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> I just thought I'd point that out there. <laughs> um, when when you were telling me about, like, you know, the design of everyday things, road signs, kitchen tools and stuff, um, that really struck a chord with me. I think um, I wrote back very email. I was like, fuck, yes, this is, like, awesome. Um, I, I get really frustrated about things um in the world that are just really poorly designed there's a there's a traffic intersection um right near where i work where there's kind of like this light rail um or what we call trams i don't know if you have trams in um sure in uh, california but uh, it's like a light rail where there's like a pedestrian crossing as well as a, a, a motor vehicle crossing all kind of overlapping and um, as a pedestrian, you can only go like this kind of really long and difficult way to get to where you want. And everyone, like basically everyone just Jay walks across the road to get to this other part. And I always say the UX of this intersection is horrendous. The, yeah. the user experience of this. Like, oh, my God. There, yeah. There are people like we are users of that that thing. There is an experience you have with it. And we take the shortcut because the way that some idiot designed it, um, has done a really crappy job. Yeah. I think so much of this, it's like saying things could be designed better. It like sounds really pretentious, but it's not, it's about being empathetic towards other human beings. Like Mm. if you design something in a way where you care about other people and you don't just go like, eh, it's good enough. Like that could, that could hurt someone or it can, it can waste a lot of precious time or anything like that. And Another way I like to think about it is uh, like being a good host, something um, quality they talk about as a, I think, core value at Airbnb. And like, if you imagine you're hosting someone, you're like trying to uh, think of what their needs are before they're at that point where they need them. And being empathetic to where things could go wrong is often a way to make something a lot better. Mm-hmm. That's going back to your earlier question about black box. Like, a lot of the times how I'm thinking is like, what sort of pit holes can people fall in? Where are people going to get stuck wasting a lot of time or where are people going to get confused? And if as you buff off all those rough edges and those really sharp crags, you end up with something that's well-designed, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like that point about um, good design is really about empathy. I think that's yeah. a really good takeaway um, and not one that I've thought of before. One thing that's really been frustrating me lately is uh, is doors that are really badly designed. <laughs> I don't know whether to push the door or to pull the door, right? Um, there See is that a- Verge thing? Yeah. Um, what was it? The Some video by Vox, right? Yeah, or uh, Vox, yeah. Um, well, Vox is the master company sure. of Verge anyway, but I'll, I'll see if I can find that video. There's a, there's a name for this type of door. I can't remember what it is um, in the moment yeah. right now, but um, I'll pop the video in the, in the show notes. Um, yeah, doors that are designed poorly. I, I, it, it's just so frustrating, like, that, and, and, and whether something's push or pull, and the, the, the added kind of frustration is, yes, we do put a sign on that says push or pull, but both words are four letters and start with P. So, like, yeah. at a glance, I still don't know. And the amount of times that you see people, like, trying to move, it's like, no, no, man, it's, it's a pull or a push. <laughs> but, like, that's just bad design. 
Yeah. Why should why should why should it be difficult for the user of that to um to not know what to do, right? Yeah. The person who and- created it should have thought of a better way for people to engage with it. That's something that people really need to remember is I mean, I don't want to put designers in this like giant hero's role, but it's like if you design something a lot of times if it it becomes the standard, you should be assuming every time you make something it's not like you know, it's good enough, I'm out of time. Or like, I haven't really tested it enough. Like, this could become the go-to way that things are made for 100 years. And it's hard to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting it right off the bat is huge. I mean, with the doors, it's like, yeah, maybe there's some broken doors. But I saw an interesting one about uh, toilets recently. Mm-hmm. Toilets with dual flush. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what icon is clear? Mm-hmm. If you have like, there's somewhere it had like a box and it's half shaded. And it's like, okay, which half is shaded? Is that half water or double the water? Or is uh-huh. three drops and one drop? And yeah, you know, or they have the the circle with like two thirds of it cut out. And yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Then and you're leading to a lot of wasted water. And uh, yeah, definitely. And when you start to think about it, like there's a lot of things in the world that are just, you know, could be designed better or just haven't really been well thought about. Um, or there's a lot of things that have been well designed as well that you just don't um, think about. You just kind of go through your day and go, you, you know, you just have a great interaction. I mean, I guess the the thing is, if something is well designed, you don't think yeah. about the design of it. Um, yeah. You just use the the product or the experience or the the thing. So it becomes yeah. an invisible extension. Yeah. Yep. It's yep. not it's not so much a tool, but yeah. I was going to ask about. Um, how you how you find um, designing without a design background? Mm. Yeah, so like I was saying before, I kind of think of it the, the way, uh, what do they say in Ratatouille? Like anyone can cook. Mm-hmm. Sorry, getting over the fact that you don't need this special background. People aren't necessarily born these things. If you have an eye of there's things that you like and things that you don't like, you can continue to refine that and understand it and um, become a designer. Like getting over that it's not this uh, crazy special thing, not to downplay any work that anyone's put into learning these things, but um, it's it's not a a magical art. You can you can apply sort of engineering principles to it. Not to say that's what I do, but you know, breaking things down to look at where people are are getting stuck, or you know, understanding why does this not feel right there are a lot of intuitions that have to be built up for a long time. I felt like I couldn't talk with designers or I didn't like, I couldn't hold myself up in conversation or have the chops cause I didn't know the language of the things that I sort of uh, felt. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that just took a lot of reading and understanding and, you know, taking in as many viewpoints as possible to be like, Oh, you know, this, this feels good cause it has a good vertical cadence or the white space is comfortable and, it's it's something that I think can be acquired. It just takes some determination to want to have it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I think I have a tough time talking about it because I don't have a formal background with it. So it's a very mushy, internalized thing. It's not like the the computer science I've been trained in a very uh, linear way. Yeah, but this is sort of this ball of skills. Look, I think you answered my question um, in a roundabout way because um, it seems like you kind of don't feel super comfortable talking about it because you <laughs> don't have the background, but like <laughs> you, you kind of feel it, right? 
Yeah. It, it, you, you kind of know when something's not right and you can problem solve your way. And maybe you can kind of use some of those engineering skills to kind of get to um, like the, the mindset, I suppose, to try and figure out what the issue is that you're, you're feeling. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to um, kind of talk about today, Ryan, is what does the future hold for you and, and what do you see yourself doing next? I definitely don't want to be making games forever. Um, this has been like a really great way to learn and I want to keep working on it, but, uh, I definitely need to do something more meaningful in the end. Um, I'd like, like I was saying before, I'd like to work on something that genuinely improves people's lives. So I'm not sure black box is doing that right now. <laughs> Depends but, how you look at it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not totally sure. It's when I, when I got out of school, I knew I wanted to uh, not work at a normal job as if I could make it happen. And so I'm going to continue to try to hold on to that if I can. But I'm getting to a point where it would be nice to work with a team because it's hard to really accomplish anything big by yourself. Um, so I'm keeping an eye on the horizon, mm-hmm. but not completely sure. So you're not sure what it is, but it's it's something interaction engineering. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking of that, um, the the last question I always ask is uh, is what is exciting you right now? Uh, yeah, I think I wanted to flip it around to what I'm what not excited about right now, which is uh, chatbots. So it's... you're not excited about chatbots? No. <coughs> I mean, yes and no. It's just kind of it's driving me crazy how excited everyone's getting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you, you can't go anywhere without seeing articles about it and some new pull apart of how chatbots should work or service. It, it just reminds me a lot of when like, you know, the corner smoothie store wanted an iPhone app, or, like all these restaurants wanted iPhone apps. And it's like, am I missing something or is there some value here? Mm-hmm. And then like a couple of years later, Pinterest came out and everyone started copying that UI. And it's like, that very spread out scrapboardy thing is great for like fractally discovering things when you're in a mode of exploration, but it's not a way to lay out a blog. It's mm-hmm. like chatbots. It's kind of a lot of times a lazy interface to something. It's like a more scalable way to do something. It's like, it's a phone, it's a phone tree when you call and have to deal with an automated assistant and you're like smashing zero to talk to a real person. I guess I'm just not convinced that it's um, the solution to most of these problems. Mm-hmm. But that said, I do really like some of the conversational interfaces. Like uh, my roommate has a Amazon Echo, and that's really nice to talk to. But I don't think when I'm on REI's website, I want to be asking a robot about backpacks. Mm. I think there's a better way to do that. You should have a listen to, uh, I uh, recorded an episode uh, a couple of days ago with Sol Flores, um, and, and he kind of mirrored a, say, a similar um, a similar kind of attitude towards some of these things that are just really overhyped at the moment, you know, robotics, um, or just, you know, people, and especially people in my industry, um, in advertising and marketing, people are like, oh, yeah, this is the next big thing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the world, and then- it kind of doesn't. So, like, you know, a couple of years ago, it was the Internet of Things. And then, yeah. you know, big data. Um, and then there was, um, like, this year, it's probably VR and chatbots are the two big things. Yeah. Um, probably because that those are the two things that Facebook announced at um, their <laughs> F8 conference recently. So, like, 
But, like, is it going to make a meaningful difference to anybody's lives in the near term? Mm, You know what I I actually think, and, again, just to reference um, the last episode with Sol, we talk about innovation a little bit and how innovation um, is not this kind of just one moment where everything changes. Um, it's a it's a progressive and iterative process, um, and it's not just like one one person. It's kind of a group of people, and there's an organizational design that can um, produce innovation. Uh, I guess that the takeaway is that you you don't end up ever um, uh, like the, these things. They don't just like come along and change the world the next day. So chatbots, wow, this is the newest thing. It's going to change the world tomorrow. And VR, it's going to like. That's that's just not how it works. Um, it's going to be iterative and in hindsight, we'll look back and go, oh, wow, like I remember when we didn't have mobile phones or the internet, you had to dial up and you couldn't be on the phone at the same time as the internet. But it wasn't just one day that it was like, oh, cool, like everything's everything's different now. It's I think it's what you see a lot is like this super explosive growth where maybe it's a good thing that there's so much attention to it and all these companies get funded and people explore the technological boundaries of these things. But then, you know, within a couple of years, a lot of those branches that didn't go anywhere die off. And we end up like farther down the road on a lot of those technologies and they do come into use, but definitely not as hyped as like Amazon's delivery drones and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, definitely. But VR is wicked. So you are excited about VR. I am excited about VR. I don't think it's like, (laughs) 3d tv <laughs> it's i mean i just tried it on for the first time recently and i told you i got to try the the vive in room scale which was just uh i mean i i genuinely got lost in it for mm-hmm. a couple moments and just it it changes the game in so many ways it's uh it's weird like i can't it's hard to imagine a bunch of 12 year olds at home with them on or like you know a family at home strapping them on their faces and leaning back on the couch or whatever but it's it's impossible to say, I think, that it's not going to have meaningful impact. I mean, the AR that comes from it and uh, whatever this other magic leap lens thing, what that does could be a little more uh, a little more altering of our future than strapping a giant box on your face. But it's exciting stuff. It's, it's, I, I felt like a kid at Disneyland. It was... <laughs> yeah, so I actually spoke to um, uh, Ethan in episode two, and uh, we talked about VR. And one of the really interesting things that we kind of, well, uncovered through that discussion was that virtual reality is um, a way to experience human empathy. You can put yourself in someone else's shoes or in another situation. So, you know, we were talking earlier in this discussion about empathy. And I think that's maybe some of what is exciting you um, about that. It's mm. There is kind of this weird tension, though, from a design perspective with virtual reality. Like, there's this kind of empathetic side to it. And and you're able to really immerse yourself in something and, and actually feel a situation. But yeah. the pro... Like, so, when you're looking through the glasses, you feel that situation. But the process of that beforehand, um, strapping on a massive piece of, piece of glass and goggles to your face is not very approachable and not very ep- empathetic from a design perspective. Like, the yeah. actual product itself is kind of shit. But yeah. um, the experience you get from it is pretty amazing. So, this is weird yeah. tension. I guess that's what I was trying to get at is, like, I know this is not the end of this line. Mm. 
but you can you can feel 100 percent uh what we're capable of and where we're going mm-hmm. when you try it on and that's really really a trip I, I think another thing was uh with the empathy of it before i had tried it on i was a little creeped out that like you're gonna have these shooters and now it's like you're really training to to shoot someone or run around a corner and peek mm-hmm. out stuff like that and it's you know, all the mom's arguments against Grand Theft Auto and stuff suddenly seem a little more real. But then when I tried it on, it was like, okay, where are all the shooting games? And there really aren't that many. Mm. And my friend put it as like, there aren't that many because people discovered it's really uncomfortable and it's really unnerving. Um, I even tried one game that was super cartoonish. It's called like Rough Cuts and there's these really blocky robots and you have throwing knives and they have guns, which is unfair, but mm-hmm. you know, they, they turn towards you. <laughs> they turn towards you and like point a gun at you. And before they've done that, it's fine. I'm fine popping up and throwing the throwing knife or whatever. But when they turn and point a gun at you, there's like every time that happened, I ripped the thing off my face. There was a time I like almost hit the controller into the wall. It's just, it's so unsettling. Yeah. Even though you're in this cartoon world. I did this virtual virtual reality experience where it was with the Oculus uh, Rift and um, I had like, you know, they give you a gun and you walk around in this abandoned warehouse. Um, And it was like a, it was a shoot 'em up with zombies. I wonder how that would have been had they been real people. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna bring up a lot of interesting questions and make people feel some interesting things. Yeah. But it seems like uh, you're excited about the potential, so. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of good that can come from it. And it's just, it's a new, it's a whole new dimension. And not to be cheesy, but. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It's a new black box. It is, it is. I can't, I can't wait for black box uh, on Oculus Rift, the, the ultimate level of frustration. <laughs> Might have talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ryan. Thank you for coming on the show today. This was really awesome. Heaps of fun. Fun to talk to you. Thanks for listening to Mate. This was episode number six. If you'd like to see the show notes for today's episode, head to the website matepodcast.com/six. Um, please subscribe on iTunes. Leave a review. Hey, great news. We got featured in the iTunes new and noteworthy section. Um, it's it's super exciting. It's driven a, a bit of a bump in, um, in downloads and listeners. So thank you so much to all the people who have written reviews um, in the past. That's been a huge help. In fact, I have a bit of an update to those who've left, left reviews since our last episode. So I wanted to send a personal thank you to Sarah Stocks, Tony Chilvers, Andrew Pierce, Fashionista... Matt Bell, Andrew Bido, Jaden Serik, Charmaine Green, and Snorkel Extra. Um, also, a big thank you to Ryan for coming on the show today. It was uh, it was heaps of fun, um, and we uh, we had a great laugh. Thank you to Courtney Carmen for designing our beautiful Mate Podcast logo, and of course our music, as always, was by uh, Nine Inch Nails, used under a Creative Commons license. Thanks for watching, or thanks for listening. Um, This has been Mate Podcast, and as always, it's made with love in Melbourne, Australia. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.